Welcome to Women Who Move Nations, the public transport podcast, where we interview our industry's top female executives from Australia, New Zealand, and around the world. I'm Michelle Batsis, your host and the Chief Executive Officer of the Public Transport Association, Australia, New Zealand. We're raising the voices of women for everyone who works in public transport and mobility, and particularly for any of our listeners who are early in their transport careers and looking for inspiration. Each of our guests shares her views on the future of public transport and provides insights into their career journeys. Make sure you follow Women Who Move Nations on your favorite podcast platform and rate the show to help more people find us. You can also join our community on LinkedIn by searching Public Transport Association Australia New Zealand. We're also on Twitter at PTAANZ underscore or visit us at www.ptaanz.org. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode. On this week's podcast, all the way from Chicago, I'm joined by Leanne Redden, the Executive Director of the Regional Transportation Authority. Leanne, thanks so much for joining us this week. Thanks for having me. Leanne, we're so excited to have you as part of our Women Who Move Nations podcast series. We're really wanting to shine a light on women around the world who are leading the transport sector. And you were actually one of the first senior women who came to mind. Thanks, Michelle. So Leanne, we want to talk a bit about your career, your achievements and what you've learnt. To start off, let's talk about your current role. So you're leading the Regional Transportation Authority in Chicago that manages an annual transit operating budget of $3 billion US dollars. In this role, you were pivotal in getting the historic Rebuild Illinois bill passed last year, which I'm really keen to hear more about. So can you tell us more about Chicago, the area and customers you serve, and how this bill will help you manage transit better in that city? So the Chicago area is a large metropolitan area. Um, The city of Chicago is the anchor within our regional area. Um, But the area that we actually serve is a full six counties, and it has a population of about 8.3 million people. The transport network that we have is uh, three operators. They cover the sort of the breadth and depth and sort of the diversity too of the region. Uh, It's the second largest transport network in the USA. And we provide, through our three operators, the CTA, Chicago Transit Authority, Metra, who is our commuter rail provider, and our PACE suburban bus operator, provide approximately 2 million rides each day. So it's um, the Rebuild Illinois campaign program really uh, was was a huge undertaking for us and it was sort of super exciting because it was the culmination of several years worth of work built largely on our strategic plan, Invest in Transit. We can talk a little bit more about sort of the the people and the customers, but, you know, it's typical transport network. You know, we have rail, we have uh, commuter rail, we have buses and we provide paratransit service across the whole area. Um, providing services, you know, obviously for people who are using public transport to commute to work. But in many cases, too, we're providing mobility and accessibility across our entire region for students getting to school, for uh, people getting to work, appointments, um, and, you know, even for people just to access life in general for social activities, for shopping and other things as well. Yeah, right. The Chicago network's a really large network, right? My understanding is what, it's the second biggest network in the USA? 
Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just thinking, right, that this role uh, must keep you really, really busy. So I'd love to hear a bit more. Can you tell us about, you know, what does your typical week look like, you know, as the executive director of the RTA? Well, there's no such thing as typical, I think. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it, that, and that's what I, I like about it. It's, it's never the same thing ever again. It, it's uh, each day, each week is completely unique. But a lot of what I do is sort of this balance between sort of managing my direct staff and sort of our internal operations, but most importantly, focused on sort of the, the regional um, perspective on all this transport network. So it's about coordination between our three operators um, and, and largely a lot of communication and coordination of that information and that messaging to elected officials across our region, to our board and other um, appointed people across our region. Also working with civic groups and other key stakeholders that are across our region. And of course, we do have some interaction with media, the riders as well. Uh, but a lot of the rider connection is directly to some of our three operators. But our focus tends to be on sort of financial um, budget issues, uh, how do we sort of support and fund the broader transport network. And I think more importantly, one of the key things that my authority, my organisation has to worry about is thinking about the region holistically across the three service providers, whereas each of the individual operators sort of just by their very existence is meant to specifically focus on sort of a, a a certain geographic area, the CTA largely focused on the city of Chicago, uh, the Metro commuter rail though has to serve across all six counties and suburban pace operator is focused mostly on suburban uh, constituents. So we though at the RTA have to sort of balance out sort of where those riders are coming from, where they're trying to get to, the services that they're trying to access and even more importantly sort of an underpinning of all of that is the how the transport network in our region is supported and funded and you know one key interesting fact that i like to sort of remind even people in our local area about is you know the cta is the largest operator and by default the most expensive operations in our region but the lion's share of our sales tax which is one of the key funding uh, elements of our transport network comes from the sales tax that's generated outside of the city of Chicago. So more sales tax is generated outside of the city of Chicago than within it. And the, though the lion's share of the money is going to the city of Chicago or the CTA network. And so you've got to kind of balance out those broader regional interests and understand, helping people understand why an investment in something that may not necessarily be in their direct backyard is good for our region as a whole and good for the economy. That was really interesting, Leanne, when you were talking about taking a holistic view of the transport network, because I think we're seeing that as more and more of a trend, right, to look at a region as opposed to just the city uh, and make sure that the transport is integrated in that. I thought the other thing that was really interesting you raised was about funding issues. And perhaps we can talk a little bit more about that, you know, later in the podcast where we talk about COVID-19 and its implications. So Leanne, you're Australian which I love because I'm Australian too. And I'd, I'd love that about you when I met you actually, because you're an Australian and I met you in Singapore, but you moved to the US many, many years ago and you've had such a successful career 
that has revolved around transport planning. So could you talk us through some of your career highlights and professional achievements uh, that you're most proud of and how did you get to where you are? Well, thank you. That was a nice compliment, actually. So my whole career has been in, in transport and I've worked on the municipal side. I have worked uh, on the highway side, tollway side, uh, and now in the public transport space. So I, I jokingly often say I've done planes, trains and automobiles. Um, you know, and I guess some of my most proudest moments um, in the professional space, uh, probably of late, is sort of the adoption of our most recent strategic plan. We adopted that a couple of years ago. It was the culmination of a couple of years' worth of work in our region. And so the plan was really um, the foundation for what became really a campaign, um, somewhat of an education and communications campaign uh, of the public at large, key stakeholders and our elected officials uh, and it led to the passing of Rebuild Illinois, which was the largest state capital program that uh, the state of Illinois has ever passed. And it resulted directly for, it was a broader um, bill and pro package for transport in general, but it was huge for um, uh, transit, as we call it here. Uh, and it, what it resulted in was, you know, $2.7 billion in uh, bonded monies for uh, public transport and an additional ongoing uh, slice of our motor fuel tax here on an ongoing basis. So the total, if you just look at a five-year snapshot of what that program is, it's $3.7 billion. And that's pretty significant for us after a, a major drought in sort of... Um, government support and funding for us on the on the capital construction side. So we're looking at making sure people understood the importance of the public transport network, uh, the, the severity of the decades of really underfunding that have occurred, and though how if we turn that around and make these very critical investments it is an investment because you get a return on that investment and it you know pays dividends into the broader economy both directly and indirectly and it's really important for our region's economy to to be sustained going forward making sure that we were thinking about it um, holistically across the entire region and that many of the solutions, the services and the, the, the uh, transport provisions that we're providing aren't one size fits all. And we have to start evolving and thinking about how the transport network is, is needed to be funded, supported and grow into the future. That's an incredible achievement, right, to be able to secure that kind of funding because you've obviously made a number of amazing achievements in transport in the US. What I wanted to talk to you about, you know, you know, relation to this, right, around your career achievements, I know that you've been formally recognised and that you were officially awarded the title of a woman who moves the nation by the Conference of Minority Transportation Officials in 2016. I'm really interested in this, actually, and obviously the title of that award uh, is very similar to our podcast series title, Women Who Move Nations. And I wanted to ask you, actually, really specifically around, you know, why do you think it's important to recognise women and other minorities or, you know, diverse um, workforce that are involved in mobility? Because I think this is a really interesting one around seeking out, you know, that talent at, at a diverse level and showcasing that achievement. I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, from a very practical standpoint, I mean, women 
part of make up a large part of our population and i think we are a relevant voice i think we bring different perspectives um look i love all the men in my life and the men i work with but you know i think there's there's a role and a real value that um both women and minority perspectives bring to the table in all of these conversations i think we also bring a different style to the way we think and the way we work as well that i think is important and we've got to remember especially in the sort of the public sector space and public transport being one slice of that we're serving the public and you know we need to look and be the people that we're also serving. And I, I think that that's important for that representation. Yeah, absolutely. And here, here, you know, I think actually, you know, it is really important that the people who work in transport reflect the communities uh, that they serve. Now, what I wanted to talk about actually is the biggest issue going on in the world right now. So we'll do a pivot and let's talk about the COVID-19 pandemic and particularly recovery and what the new normal looks like for transport. And there's no denying, right, that the public transport and transit sector has been really impacted around the world in so many ways. And, you know, particularly the kind of outcomes you know, for customers in terms of service levels and, you know, how we maintain their safety. So can you talk us through how RTA has responded to COVID-19? You know, in particular, what's your current situation and how are you preparing for the longer term impacts? So right now, look, nobody can prepare for a global pandemic. I think, you know, all the best knowledge and information, no, nobody was prepared. And I don't think that's not just a public transport issue. I think that the the world as we know it fundamentally has changed. Um, and when I say that, I, I don't mean that even just in the short term. I think, you know, everything really changed because of this pandemic. I think the way we interact as humans, uh, I think there will be some long-lasting impacts on some of that. Um, I think, though, we will come back to being. We are naturally social beings and we'll want to sort of gather and, and spend time together physically, you know. But I, I do think when I say change, too, I think the world's changed in terms of sort of the, the whole financial model and how we support and fund almost everything we do in our economies and our nation. So our state governor... Uh, still has us in a stay-at-home order, and a governor is equivalent to a premier in Australia. Um, he is really in charge of making these decisions uh, for our entire state. So we are moving closer to um, our next, we have a phased statewide sort of phased recovery plan and all of that to move into the next phase is being driven by medical data uh, in terms largely based on uh, cases and, and deaths. Um, but we are getting closer to move into our next phase. And then it's a, a slow and gradual sort of phased opening up of the economy. Not too dissimilar, I mean, to some of the stuff that's happening already, I know, in Australia. Um, everyone's got sort of slight twists on some of this, but it, it's sort of that phased opening approach. From a public transport perspective, you know, we will be guided and uh, led by sort of those announcements of those new phases. But more importantly, I think uh, through all of this, we have worked very closely with our governor's office uh, and all the mayors of our local municipalities to help them understand and really be a sort of a coordinated point of messaging and information about sort of the transit system, its operations, 
Uh, in the very early days, it was sort of making sure the messages are out there about sort of safety, security, and, and the cleanliness routines and the sanitizing routines that the transit operators were providing. Then it was quickly migrating into or moving into uh, information about helping them understand if there were service adjustments or changes. Now, the other thing that was unique and it took a while for people to kind of understand because we have three operators, the response wasn't one size fits all for all of them. So. The CTA, the Chicago Transit Authority, uh, whose you know, demographics and the region it serves, is still providing full 100% of service uh, and has, been, has continued to do that throughout the whole uh, pandemic, even through the stay-at-home orders. The, the silver lining in all of this pandemic and all the challenges and, and, and sort of sadness many people have faced is that it's though it's highlighted the fact that the public transport network is really a critical service. Um, for our region, and I think that's been shown worldwide, uh, that people really do depend on using public transport to get to and from work, and that's, you know, doctors, nurses, that's um, broader healthcare workers, it's, it's, grocery, it's you know, grocery store and supermarket workers, it's people that are working in the shipping and warehousing industries that we're all depending on if, you know, if we're at home and we don't want to get out into the regular, the retail spaces being closed. I think it's been helping our governor's office and our electeds understand that, you know, Metra, our commuter rail, with, us, with the, the um, stay-at-home order, you know, essentially decimated the ridership of, um, you know, largely a sort of a, a school and a white collar kind of uh, clientele. And, you know, so they, Metra, commuter rail has cut its service by a little over 50%. Our Pace suburban bus operator is still largely providing all of its services as well as the absolutely essential ADA paratransit services for people with disabilities and limited mobility across our region. So, um, making sure that sort of that information was in a coordinated um, fashion that we have pivoted and sort of making, we are compiling weekly reports that are disseminated to elected authorities, civic groups, key stakeholders across our region, and then sharing our messages with the media too, to help us sort of make sure people understand what's going on. We're now pivoting though and looking towards recovery and reopening up of the economy. And one of the things we're starting to work with our three operators um, is sort of looking at scenarios for the future, um, what that might look like. There's sort of the buckets of terms of reopening and the phased opening approach, but more importantly, sort of stepping back from some of that and even thinking kind of what it might look like under different scenarios of the future. Should the economy come back, the virus goes, recedes, and things turn around fairly quickly? How do we ramp up and continue to provide safe um, and great service to our region? Or the other extreme, that the virus doesn't go away, we don't quickly get a, um, a vaccine, and the, you know, people are still concerned and, you know, not really, the economy is not returning the way we kind of hope. How does the public transport networks respond to that? How do we still provide those critical services? And more importantly, how do we support financially that kind of service. You know, one of the, the, I feel like it's a paradox within the public transport network in the short term is, you know, providing all this service so we can maintain some level of social distancing, but that becomes expensive. We're used to having sort of crowded buses and trains, and now we're sort of expected to provide a level of service 
to sort of make manage that social distancing requirement, especially in the short term. So how do we think through all those different scenarios? And then what do our three operators do and helping them sort of think through what data and information they need to start planning that out so then they can translate that into true operational plans? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of work there, right? But really important. I mean, I think what's really interesting is to understand, you know, for people who live in that Chicago region, you know, what would usually drive their travel decisions? And I mean, have, I'm sure you've been doing thinking, right, around, you know, with the pandemic, you know, the kind of impact that you might see in the medium to long term, obviously, ridership's down now. And, you know, whether you expect to, you know, to see the same kinds of travel behaviour going forward. Yeah, we don't, you know, I, I think in the short term um, or the more immediate future, I think it's going to be a slow growth. Um, we may never see across some of our services out there a full return to the level of patronage and ridership that we had before. I think it's um, an opportunity, you know, to think about you know, people make decisions to ride public transport, one, out of need, but also, two, about out of convenience, access to different choices they might have, but also congestion. So we've got to sort of step back from all of that and think about how, how all these pieces come together and should we be using this crisis in a way to drive future policy change um, think some of those bigger thoughts and work with some of our other transport, land use and government partners to sort of think about what do we want our future to really look like? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting take around, you know, how you actually look at this situation and think about, well, you know, from an optimistic point of view, you know, what kind of change could actually be driven or even accelerated, uh, you know, in the transport planning and service that's delivered, you know, given the pandemic and the impacts of that. I wanted to ask you, you know, so obviously you have a strategic plan at the RTA, you know, what does success look like for the RTA and has that changed due to the pandemic situation we're experiencing across the world? I think the, the priorities that we establish in our plan actually serve us well, even looking through and beyond the pandemic. I mean, it was one to deliver sort of on the, the value of the investments of the transport network that we've already got in physical infrastructure that we have, but build upon the strengths of the network that we have, and then finally stay competitive. And I think there, you know, the plan drills down into sort of areas of how we can try to uh, reach those goals. Um, but I, I think it's, you know, thinking creatively about sort of transport and this broader mobility ecosystem that we live in, you know, and using the crisis as sort of a way to um, push ourselves to ask the hard questions, push ourselves to adapt and not just do what we've always done. I think in the public transport space, you know, we've all been talking for the last couple of years about sort of this broader mobility uh issues and challenges and opportunities, um, you know, all this micro transport stuff that's, you know, out there. A lot of it's been driven by private sector investments and, and startups. But how do we truly sort of take a step back, think about where their role is for public transport? I still fundamentally believe it is literally the backbone of the transport network. But how do we adapt and partner with some of these mobility providers? As an example, I like to talk about is in our suburban area, instead of running just the traditional sort of bigger fixed route buses, 
uh, where we have lower densities and maybe not the levels of ridership, is this the time to say, okay, time out, let's, let's re refocus, let's double down. We've already been doing some um, pilots in some of our suburban areas, providing access either to mainline services, fixed route services, um, rail, but also partnering into um, other employment campus areas that, you know, maybe not as dense as sort of the downtown urban core, but can we, you know, partner with the um, transport network providers, Uber is one, we're not partnering with Uber, but uh, we have other providers in the US, Lyft and Via, who we actually have our pilots with right now. And, and really sort of finding those niche markets that might be more cost effective for us and provide a more flexible, uh, responsive type service for our riders and our taxpayers across our entire region. Yeah, I mean, that's such a big focus, right, around how you improve services the service delivery and adapting those models and also looking at the cost recovery associated with that. So let's talk about some of the other innovations going on in transport in Illinois at the moment and how these potentially could be adopted more broadly, you know, in the United States, but also potentially globally. I mentioned the partnership with the uh, ride share type companies um, and I, I think there's there's lots of examples of it. We're not the only ones doing this. They're, they're examples all across the country, large and small. Uh, and I think that, you know, trying to learn off everyone's successes and failures is important. Uh, some of the stuff that we've also been pretty successful with and we're looking to expand further is sort of partnering even with some of our other agencies around uh, our, you know, we don't have the the capital, the financial wherewithal to sort of expand and enhance service, even with some of our big capital investments. But looking at ways to deliver more reliable, fast service in a more cost, uh, uh, less cost prohibitive way, I guess, uh, we've ex- successfully implemented several bus on shoulder projects. Uh, we partnered with the Illinois Tollway, and as they were looking to build a major, rebuild a major corridor, they actually built us a bus lane a busway, and they're sort of moving into the smart lane technology uh, and variable pricing. And it was as much of a public policy thing for them uh, to be able to provide sort of choices and options so people didn't have to drive their car on the tollway if you didn't want to pay, you know, a higher toll. Um, but we've got now a really high capacity busway, which really gives us the service to almost provide a rubber tire train level of capacity uh, at very little cost for the, the transport network. So finding these sort of partnership opportunities, I think is really important. Partnership, I think also in the longer term and sort of some of the things because of my broader planning background, I'm a big proponent of sort of thinking about the connection between land use and transportation and how can in the public transport space, we better leverage those opportunities and actually almost, um, I tend to like to borrow some ideas from sort of the Hong Kongs and the Japans of the world where they're almost as much um, real estate developers and really creating that marketplace for public transport, uh, but also potentially providing revenue streams because I think some of the the funding paradigm that we've all lived under, especially in the US, this pandemic has really sort of thrown that sort of out the window to some extent. And I think we have to start thinking creatively about how we support and fund our our transport network. 
That's such a good point. You know, I think actually the funding and financing of transport networks and the capital builds is going to become increasingly such an important issue as we see effects on ridership levels and therefore fare box around the world. Um, I think it's really interesting, actually, some of the innovations that you're talking about and that partnership aspect. You know, one of the things that I know about Chicago is that you have a lot of great accessibility initiatives. And something that I'm personally passionate about is social equity and the opportunities that public transport unlocks for people who otherwise wouldn't have uh, the means to go about and access the services or the opportunities um, that, you know, they, they would like to in their lives. So I wanted to ask you about accessibility initiatives such as paratransit service, you know, so people with a disability, you know, who are prevented from otherwise using services or, you know, accessing opportunities. Um, and, and how have you been able to successfully implement, you know, these types of programs? So there's obviously the physical infrastructure piece. We're making sure through the capital investments that we're providing physical accessibility across, you know, stations. And if anyone's been to Chicago, the famous L, which is an elevated system and it's, you know, more than 100 years old. So that's that's a costly undertaking, but very important too. But I think um, some of the additional programs that we've sort of built and nurture around that um, travel training programs, you know, Public transport is really, what we've really tried to make sure is we've got a focus on increasing mobility and accessibility for all people across our region. So our travel training program uh, has been, actually it's a model in the country and it does everything from training individuals through small groups and either even to larger groups about sort of how to understand and access and use the public transport network. And it's really important because I mean, it's, it's giving people access to the broader community. It's giving people access to jobs, to you know, uh, even just a social network and a level of independence, which is hugely important, I think, for everybody. Everybody deserves that right and that opportunity. Um, one of the things, you know, the travel training program will do everything from on the individual level to training someone not even just with a physical disability, but it may be a cognitive disability and training them on how to uh, learn the path to the fixed route system. One of the things that we've been really focused on doing is making sure that we're providing improved access to the mainline system. So it's not just everybody defaulting all the time to the smaller demand responsive paratransit services, but helping people access that broader mainline network. That's important for us too, because it doesn't, it, uh, it's a, there's a financial benefit to the transport network too, because the, the cost of an individual ride on a paratransit vehicle is north of $40 a trip. If we can provide someone the ability, not necessarily for every trip, but on a, a beautiful summer's day where there's no snow or ice, which we tend to get a little bit of in Chicago, but they can navigate, you know, the sidewalks and the streets and get to a bus, uh, the bus stop or the train station and use the mainline service. So helping people understand how to use it, how to literally their path of travel, uh, how to understand how to pay for it, getting them with their fare card and training them how to use it. Uh, and we've, we focus not just on people with disabilities, but also seniors. Uh, as people are tending to age in place and live longer, they often have to give up access to a car and they may not have been on a bus or a train in, you know, 20 years or so, uh, except for maybe sort of a, an occasional social outing and helping them understand their mobility options going forward. That's such a great initiative. You know, I mean, 
removing barriers like access to opportunities is I think one of the most rewarding parts of working in public transport, right? You know, I wanted to talk to you about the broader role of transportation and the sector. I know the RTA priorities include growing ridership, which obviously is impacted at the moment because of COVID, you know, but improving mobility and being more environmentally you know, friendly and aware and having that focus brought to your planning and service decisions. How big a role do you think the transportation sector plays in creating better cities for future generations? And how do you see that going in the future? So I think transport, and I think more specifically public transport, is the great equaliser for all of us. I think that, and I often say to people that even if you never get on a bus or a train, that's one less car in front of you on the road that's stopping you from getting to where you need to get to. And that's why I think it's such a social benefit to all of us to invest and support the network. I think, you know, pre-COVID it was critical. I think post-COVID it's even more critical. I think especially as we're looking at how do you bring back big urban centres and their economies are just, public transport is just an underpinning of that um, economy. It's the backbone of the broader transport network. I think we have to be very mindful of sort of the access to jobs and schools and, and medical facilities um, and then social activities, you know, and so public transport is still absolutely needed. It's been, you know, I think I mentioned this, but it's been exciting to see that public transport has been recognised as such a critical service. I think sometimes people take it for granted, but I think it's really been able to sort of shine and show its worth and value through this. I think as we pivot and sort of open up our economies, I do think some people are going to default to driving cars. That's what they're going to initially feel safe on. Um, But (laughs) very quickly, we're going to have gridlock. And you just look at the sort of the size and the scope of just our network in Chicago, the employment base that the downtown of Chicago has, you know, it, it, you can't even con- conceive of how to get all those people, you know, in a private driven automobile to and from work. And we'll just be a gridlock. And I think very quickly people will recognize that that's not a sustainable model. And we need to sort of make sure that we've got the transport network there and supporting for them. What you've just shared is music to my ears, Leanne, because I'm passionate about public transport. I work at UITP. You know, we exist to advance the interests of public transport, you know, to improve the livability and sustainability of our cities, right? Because we all know there's a risk around, well, there's so many risks around congestion and people using, you know, single occupancy vehicles, to get around, uh, you know, and that's one of the, the big challenges, but also opportunities for the transportation sector around the world. So Leanne, I now want to focus on leadership generally, and particularly women in leadership, right? Because, you know, our podcast is about raising that profile of women, you know, working at a senior level, but also hopefully inspiring, you know, the next generation of women coming up the ranks in transport. What do you think makes a great leader? I think a couple of qualities. Um, First of all, I don't have all the answers, uh, which I think is an important feature. But more specifically, I think uh, two things, conviction and humility are really important. And and conviction, Michelle, I think you refer to it as passion, Um, but passion for what you do. Uh, Because I I think that that gives you an authenticity um, and, and people 
then you can, you have the ability, I think, hopefully then to inspire people and, and, you know, just by showing that you care. I think that's really important. Humility um, is very important. And I, I think um, it's, it's helpful because women, are, well, I don't have all the answers. I like to remind myself I don't have all the answers. I've sort of tried through my career to recognize that in myself um, and be confident enough to uh, surround myself with people who are smarter than me, uh, somewhat maybe even stronger than me, and more importantly, bringing sort of broader perspectives to the table because I think that that's what I personally like, challenging me to some extent to sort of think and do things differently. Are there any female leaders who've inspired you during your career? There's been some women, I think, who really across different fields and professions that have, you know, at times inspired me. Um, I think it's been a collection of women in other professions in sort of the finance and the business sector, but also in sort of uh, other elected officials that I've, I've had to interact with and sort of the the, the confidence, uh, the perspective they bring to the table has sort of helped inspire me and, and give me um sort of the confidence to keep going and drive forward. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's important. One of the things that it's, I, I feel is very important is to sort of be bold and brave. And I've seen that in other women and I've tried to sort of model some of that behavior. Yeah. I love that being bold and brave. I mean, that's, that's such a great takeaway, you know, in terms of, I guess, maybe advice that you've received along the way, you know, what do you think is the best piece of advice that you've received in relation to your career? sort of picking up on the bold and brave sort of sentiment. I mean, I, I really take that very seriously. And I've, I, I think of a mayor who I worked for years ago, uh, a man, but he was really quite probably one of my most, my first sort of professional mentors. Uh, and he really challenged me to sort of take chances, sort of threw me into opportunities uh, and responsibilities that I initially thought I had no business or no qualifications to really um, do. And he really sort of threw me in there. But, you know, I was, it, it's a little bit of the Aussie in me. I sort of was happy to give it a go um, and sort of take that chance and then learn. I think the other thing that's really important for to have people, to, to make sure that you take those chances, take those risks, but learn from those things because failure, as many people say, you know, is, is, a, is a success in itself because if you can sort of learn from some of that, then reapply it in the future, I think that that's a great, almost a gift that we can have. Yeah, I mean, that's an incredible point. You may have actually just answered my last question but I'm going to ask you anyway, right, because you have such incredible experience and have been so generous in, in sharing your insights. What advice would you give to younger women who are, who are starting out or in the early years of their transport career? Well, the public transport space and transport in general is a very broad field. I think it's a diverse field, a diverse field of people and opportunities. And so I think that there's been some great networks of women that I've sort of found along the way. I encourage people to find a mentor 
either male or female. They come in all shapes and sizes um, and they might change over time. But, you know, find those people to give you kind of thoughts and advice. I also really want to make sure that people sort of are bold um, and make the, make mistakes, feel confident enough. And one of the things I've tried to do sort of in the phase of my career I'm in now is be a mentor to people, give them sort of that uh, space, if you will, to... Um, challenge themselves, take some risks and, and try to build off those opportunities because I really do think that that's really the only way we grow um, and learn and I think that that's advantageous for the industry as a whole and women as well. That's awesome. Thanks, Leanne. Such great and practical advice actually to take away. You know, I think actually the idea of having a mentor, you know, is so important at every stage of your career. Leanne, we really appreciate your time today. You've shared some great advice and insights, and I've really enjoyed the conversation we've had about public transport and the opportunities and challenges going forward, as well as your career. So thanks for joining us. Thanks, Michelle. It's, it's my pleasure and it's been fun. Thank you. We really appreciate you joining us and supporting our Women Who Move Nations podcast. For all of our listeners to follow more about what Leanne is up to, you can follow her on Twitter at LRedenRTA. That's all we have time for and look forward to having you join us for future podcasts. Thank you to everyone for listening to this week's episode of Women Who Move Nations. This series is co-produced by Cassandra Kadelka and Lara Rudd with copywriting by Sophia Dickinson. Please join us each week as we raise the voices of women in the public transport and mobility sector. I'm Michelle Batsis. Keep safe and keep our nations moving.